Hello and welcome to Alpify episode four. I'm Ross Downs and joining me today as ALP alumni was Catherine Corley, who's a research nurse at the Countess of Chester NHS Foundation Trust. As we head towards the end of our seven episodes, please do let me know if you think we should do any more or if you've liked it. And if we should do more, who should we have on? Let me know at RossD72002 on Twitter. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, welcome to episode four of Alpify, and today's very special guest is People Improvement and Innovation Lead for the CRN, Jess Ratcliffe Craigs. Welcome. I feel like I should applaud. Like... <laughs> oh, hey! I felt very official. What a very official. I know. Thank you. I know. It's weird. Every time I introduce somebody on this, it feels very formal and it's people that I know relatively well it's like oh yeah oh, you've done all these wonderful things well done you I'd like to <laughs> applaud you back doing all these wonderful things <laughs> so I thought just as an easy start and hopefully I know you guys have both listened to the podcast so um it was going to be ALP bingo so uh, we have quite a few now. We've got 11 in there now. So if you, I think we're starting to get to the point where people might cover other things. So what have you got? I've got, and I think it might have come up on the first episode, but I wanted to reiterate it. I've got telling your story. <laughs> so uh, either telling good. your story or personal narrative, because obviously that's how we would have addressed it in the uh, in module three back in the day uh, in fact it's module three now as uh, in this final year as well but yeah telling your story or owning your story so that was a huge module for me um it it was one of those that really, really i think it was one of those where i think Stephen mentioned last week it's not a leadership course until someone cries and i think more than one person cried when we were doing personal narratives because hearing people's reasons for doing what they do is so powerful and then when they are so succinct and so clear it's great everybody's story is incredible and um i think I, I must have said it every time we ran that session but it didn't get any less true that it was such a privilege to sit there and hear those stories about why people were in the room or why people did what they did or where people had come from um and even when they felt their stories were they, they didn't have a story to tell like why would i tell people about this it's still once they said them out loud you you felt the impact of them and that's the power of of the story and so it was an absolute privilege and i probably didn't do that session at all without crying it yeah was amazing and well overwhelming <laughs> The crier's faculty that it leaves nothing for them. <laughs> oh, we hide at the back. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, three, someone that stood up and gave their story. Obviously, I don't think I can give people's names without their permission, but she was a dietitian on our course, a research dietitian. And I found it. I like I remember I went to find her at lunchtime to thank her for being brave enough or confident enough to speak up and, and give that story to everyone because it really was quite powerful and she she was astounded at how much of an effect it had on the rest of the room i think yeah hey brave brave is a good word um we had someone because we did it in small tables first so everyone was a little bit more comfortable and then other people were sharing and someone on our table sort of gave their story and it, as someone that's a bit emotionally redundant it made me cry um and then i thought oh well at least at least it, i cried while we were kind of in our in our little group and then she stood up and did it again i cried again i was like this is just pathetic i've literally i've cried in front of my wife twice when both my children were born i think that's it <laughs> i'd like i'd like to to say right now that there is nothing pathetic about it <laughs> there's nothing in that vulnerability like my goodness uh, and I think it says a lot for the those kind of psychologically safe spaces that you, although you're not aware of it, like that couldn't have happened if we weren't in that room together and it felt like a safe, closed space. Um, I feel really proud that um, that's not us, that's not faculty who do that. That's 
the participants, that's you guys, and how you build those relationships over not much time at all. It's so intense. It, is, it really is so intense. And I think, I, I mean, I don't think you're giving the faculty quite enough credit there because you start off very much building that safe space and reiterating that safe space. And it becomes that atmosphere, I think, by design. I don't think, I don't think it's an accident. It's not an accident and it is by design. Um, but there's only so far that we can take it. Like we yeah. talk about containers and safe spaces all the time. Uh, and I know that Stephen spoke last week about creating the space uh, and that made me smile a lot because I don't think a day goes by without using that phrase. Um, and we can create the space, but somebody's got to fill it, you know. So it it's it's not just on us, it's a joint effort. Yeah. So Catherine, what's your bingo word? Um you see, I was on with an R and I go have we had elevator pitch. No, I don't think we have. Hold on, let me check. Before I say no. No, no. Elevator pitch is good. Elevator pitch, I think. I think it's spread across two of the modules. Um, yeah, and, and we practiced it just with one other person. And then again, it was like, are, are, you, are you willing to say this in a bigger space? But it is, it re I'm a bit of a waffler, which is probably not the best person to come on a podcast. And it was, it's really good at making you get to the point quickly because I think conversation is great, but you don't always need the waffle. And I think maybe having a little point list of, of what the point is you're trying to get across or what the statement is that, that you're trying to say um, and learning to summarise that while also being mindful that the other person's impression or opinion might be different was it was really it was a moment that I thought I will take from this and I will learn from this. I think there's a time and a place for waffle and there's a time and a place for succinct and um, having the opportunity to think about who are you and what do I need to get across to you is invaluable. As well as having spaces like this, where, you know, it's just conversation. But there's less of a time limit on this. If you've got some very senior person and you've got 15 minutes of their time, I think, I think succinct is good. Yes. Agreed. Yeah, there's definitely space for elevator pitch. Um, oh, it's one of the few role play things we did. I hated elevator pitch. And as soon as I saw the square on the floor, I was like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> love the idea. Love the concept. Out of the role play idea. But then I think we had a couple of people who got up and just nailed it. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm, I'm not following that. <laughs> I will stay firm. <laughs> See, that's how I felt about coming on this podcast. I've been listening to Susan and to Stephen and just thought, no, I'm not following that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I said to you, when uh, when it goes well, that's the um, that's the guests because of the guests. When it goes badly, that's because of the host. So it's all right. <laughs> how do you manage to sort of balance all of those? Because as we, we talked about in your title as well, how do you manage to balance all of those sort of innovation and workforce and people and all of those responsibilities all at once? Um, some days are easier than others. So I think I've got a really interesting job. I feel very lucky to have the job that I have. Um, and every now and again, I kind of like when you when you welcome me on the podcast, I was like, oh, it's a, I have an exciting job. And I think... One of the brilliant things about what I have to do is that I get to go into rooms and have conversations with people um, and help them think differently. And I do that around the work I do under the heading of, of people. So some of that is around organisational development. How do we um, develop our people and our the, the system that we work in to get the best out of it? Uh, some of it's around well-being and engagement. How do we connect and build our network? Um, and then you kind of come over to the improvement and innovation side which is about how do we do what we do really well how do we try new things how do we constantly strive for better um as a network um that's already in our blood you know it is what we're here to do um to improve to innovate and we do that through our people so um 
it's possibly easier than it sounds like it it might be and I'm really uh, privileged to work with some incredible people and the the faculty for ALP um there's such good examples of that people that I'm constantly learning from so I think that's that's how you do that that you've got to be open to learning always and moving forward always um but mostly I find things that I find interesting and kind of poke at them <laughs> <laughs> I can't help myself I kind of have um I get involved in an awful lot of things just because um it's fascinating to me I want to see how we can do that better how I can help people think about things differently um and I like to drop things and walk away I think I say that in in ALP all the time that I would come up to a conversation and be like have you thought about and then leave <laughs> um because you you don't I'm not needed to do that further thinking but if I can encourage people to to reframe I'm going to use the bingo word um <laughs> I can encourage people to say well actually what if we put our infrastructure or the way we do things to one side and think about it a bit differently what could we do differently and um right now being in in covid and being in an urgent public health response um and i'm sure that you'll both remember um us talking about disruption in the program and, and here it is in action here is everything that we talk about theoretically uh in action and while there's so much um that is really challenging and really not great about any of that um it also shows to us that we are incredibly agile and responsive as an organization and um we're always looking to make sure to kind of say what did we do did we do the right thing what will we do next time um yeah <laughs> i've run i'm waffling and i've run out of words <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting that uh, and, and stephen's kind of put it last week that from the outside you can really see some of the ideas from alp and be well i say from the outside although i'm within the network you sort of you can see the idea the ideology of alp sort of being interwoven into stuff that is coming mm. through um it was it's really interesting that stephen picked up on that as well as you, you can just see the digital space you can see people reacting and and you get the feeling that people are starting to understand this but more about empathy and sympathy with um, personality around what we're doing rather than you know the the whole idea of machine thinking and, and the whole idea of it's just a role um people are, are definitely personalizing their approach i think especially during the pandemic yeah it's what's really interesting I think is that when I first joined the network um, and took up the role of, of leading on the accelerating digital work um, nobody was saying um, what became so it still feels now in lots of places uh, really core to a digital transformation movement nobody was saying this is about people and not technology everybody was saying what what's the technology how can we be really exciting and new and cutting edge with like the tools that we've got and uh, the fact that we were able to come in, and this is really Susan Hamer at work, which is brilliant. She came in and said, um, it, it doesn't really matter what the technology is that's going to be in your hand, you know, because it's going to change year on year and year. What is important is that the people who are holding that piece of technology are able to be responsive and agile and dynamic and think differently and say, could I use this to do something else? And that was the real fundamental behind Accelerating Digital. And it's a bit of a lesson that I've taken forward in all sorts of things uh, in the actually the, the way that we do what we do will continue to change how do we make sure that the people in our system who are our real assets um there's some machine thinking language for you there assets horrible <laughs> sorry um you know how do we empower them to make the changes and and operate in the way that they need to to do do their job really well yeah absolutely i mean investing in the person i think when because 
I'll try and get this sorted out in my head before I say it. <laughs> when I have spoken about continuous improvement a little bit, probably more often about social media to colleagues, there have been some incredibly difficult conversations around the way that the media has moved forward and the way that the use of social media has moved forward. And I think that's the biggest indicator of technology, the way technology has gone in the last five, 10 years, is that everything's so much based around communication and transparency. And if that message gets lost, it's quite difficult to bring back. Um, and not everybody's mm -hmm. brought into that or hadn't brought into that. I'm seeing, I'm seeing, I'm still seeing people buy into it more and more. So, so I think it's really good. It's just, it's such a difficult conversation to get people on board. So yeah, I admire that work massively. I, so obviously this pandemic for the NHS, which perhaps has not been so much on the cutting edge as the NIHR in terms of use of digital, has really brought it to a place where the question that my clinicians are saying, like, why weren't we doing this before? You know, obviously people with NHS.net have been granted teams. It's not Google Hangout, but it's effectively the same kind of system. And, you know, space is at a premium in any hospital. Why beg and steal and borrow for a room for six people to get in when you can all sit in your own office and have the same conversations by a video call? And I think I've not really encountered any resistant people like not liking this new way of working you know in terms mm. of patient follow-ups and stuff it's been really nice and i think it's definitely something you know in response to the question it's definitely something i wish, wish to see us keep because i do see why, why weren't we doing this 10 years ago the technology was probably there um and you know the pandemic has meant that we've, we've now adopted it and I, I really hope it's something that stays and i think it will be something that stays because staff like it patients like it it, it works I agree. It feels like we've been talking about this for such a long time and then suddenly we're able to do it. And that's because um, behaviour change takes so much time. You know, we are creatures of habit and comfort. And we particularly, I think, in health where um, we absolutely need to feel safe. And that's really important, um, even though you think, well, what difference could it make to do this, you know, via Hangout or a video chat versus in person actually why does that feel less safe I guess uh, and then suddenly you've got this common goal this common um, thread that we can all kind of pull to and say oh actually we need to do this differently and that is such an important driver for change and we talk about like we've talked about having a vision for change and articulating that common purpose is such an important part of that and either it's a leader articulating a vision or there's something that we didn't expect driving us to have a common purpose and it just it changes everything it, it talk about reframing it changes everything uh, Catherine you sort of mentioned there about stuff that's changed and on that Tara from last week actually had a question Jess that she wanted to put forward to you so let me see if it works again hello Jess this is my question for you throughout Covid and the various amounts of changes responses um, and planning what are the things that you would like to keep moving forward in your new way of working and what are the things that maybe you would like well to chuck to chuck i love that to chuck it <laughs> um oh yeah so much i guess um I've, i'm being asked this question quite a lot or I see this question being asked quite a lot in in our day-to-day -day at the moment about what are what's changed what do we want to keep what do we want to not keep anymore and um, I think it's a really important question but I also think it's um, we also have to remember that we're not we're not there yet there's there are still things that are going to move so I might change our minds again and while that shouldn't stop us thinking you know this is good um, I think we also have to 
look ahead a little bit more, scan a little bit more as leaders um, to say actually how might things shift again. Um, but if there's anything that I think we can't afford to lose that, that's really come into play uh, over the last few months is that um, cross-boundary collaboration. It has would some might, us... some might call that boundary spanning, maybe, Jess? Some some might call that boundary spanning. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, <laughs> I'll test you on what each of those things were. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and that's like, like Stephen was saying, we're seeing some of that stuff at, in play and suddenly you've got a name for it, right? Like that you didn't even realise before doing that. The fact that we're able to collaborate and operate across those organisational geographical boundaries, uh, across hierarchies, um, basically just going to cover all the stuff you covered with Stephen, right, and, and take credit for it. Um, and uh, I think if we can keep anything, it's that that collaboration that everybody is coming together with. This I'm coming, going to say common purpose or shared purpose so many times. It's such a mantra for me at the moment, but coming together and saying we can only address this as a collective like how do we do it really well so um uh, and i think we did collaborate before but it's in such an overt way now it is so how everybody's coming from from all over who's putting down uh, work and agendas to to focus on these things together and i think that increased um connection through through video calls through conversations like this there is something interesting that said to do any of this previously would have meant scheduling a meeting in four weeks from now and sitting down in a room you know traveling to London and um I while I would definitely say some of the relentlessness I would really like to leave behind because I know that we're all really tired really tired of sitting in front of a screen all day um the fact that we're able to be so dynamic at the moment is something that I really hope we don't lose. Uh, there's there's a balance to be found for our own resilience and well-being. Uh, I'm going to play bingo again, say can't pour for an empty cup and everybody is really feeling it at the moment. <laughs> um, but absolutely, I've I've just seen people coming together in a way that I've never experienced in, in any of the roles that I've had. Um, yeah, so that. Yeah, I, I that's just, or, or far more eloquently than I would have put it. But the way, the way that I see it and some of the things, or one of the things that I would hope we can see change is very practical. And when you think about things as practical as maybe like the recovery trial that went from protocol line to first patient mm. in, in five days. Now, I understand that's not sustainable and you now that's a ridiculous time frame. But the lessons that we can learn from that and how everybody pushed to that single goal was just quite frankly incredible and it shows the power that we can have if we can just sort of move out move out of the minutia and and drill down into what the the big issues are here and it, yeah it's blown my mind how quickly some of this stuff has moved forward and i just hope that we don't i mean there's yeah. going to be a bit of a stagger backwards understandably and that's that's going to be a little bit frustrating until we find that what, <laughs> which is probably a different bingo, the new normal really is. Um, and yeah, and make sure that we, we apply some of the learning that we have. Hmm. The phenomenal yeah. speed of, of change and change being brought in has been so impressive. I think the fact that there's the shared goal element is that everybody's is the same probably has made that a lot easier. And so you're right that take a step mm. backwards slightly, but I hope maybe a sense of a shared goal and a sense of that element will help help us be quicker than we were previously. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So that kind of sort of almost. Yeah, it definitely moves on to continuous improvement just a little bit because it all feels very continuous improvement. what a lovely I know, I know, imagine that. <laughs> um, so how if 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 you're going to turn this as all a continuous improvement how do you embed that within an organization within a small team how does that how does that work that's an open question to either of you by the way so. sorry <laughs> can you say it for me again i missed the big sorry 
connectivity proving an issue here missed the beginning of the question how how do you embed the the culture of continuous improvement in either a small team or an organization or how how do you sort of start bringing that everybody on in the same way grabbing hold of the enthusiasm that we've we've had in the last 15 weeks or has been now that's a good question I can tell it's a good question by the silence. <laughs> it's so hard to do. It was so hard to do before, and it and it's so hard to do uh, now. Um, there's definitely something in uh, celebrating and recognizing our successes when you move at such pace, um, like. You just use the recovery trial as an example, and, and it's definitely one that we can look to and be like five days. It blows my mind still. But how often do we think about that? Really? How often do we go back and say, look what we've done? And how often do we think about, well, what did we do last week? Like in thinking about some of the work that is now happening to um, build the vaccines infrastructure. Um, how do we not, at the pace that we're going, lose sight of everything that we achieved? which is an incredible amount and celebrating each individual success in terms of uh, team achievement in terms of personal achievement um is really a, a core part of us embedding some of that because if we don't look to the things we've achieved and the lessons that we've learned we won't embed anything we'll just be looking to the next thing and we won't be taking forward um the changes that we made the adjustments you know why did why did we get recovery done in five days and why might another trial have taken a different length of time um so i'm a big believer in in that celebration of success because um it gives us all pause to say that our work is hard but worth doing and it encourages us to say well what else what else can we do what else is next and leaders have such an important role in that such an important role in enabling people to have the time to pause even if it's just a moment and say that was good that could have been better what do we want to leave behind and what do we want to take with us Yeah, something power, very powerful about celebrating, celebrating yeah. um, <laughs> the achievements of people. And I mean, ALP is, is interwoven with continuous improvement for me. So the ability to reflect is something that you personally banged on about <laughs> throughout the whole of ALP. It's very much reflect, reflection, reflection, reflection. That's how yeah, I wish you'd describe it, banging on about on, it. God. <laughs> but it's something actually that I don't, I, I think I did. I think I did before ALP, but I don't think I did it well enough. And I certainly only really reflected on the negative aspects of my work. So it was only very much when something went wrong, I would maybe take a mm. step back and go, okay, why did this go wrong? And since ALP, certainly, I have been much yeah. better at saying, OK, why did this go right? What can I learn from this to make other things go right? And that's been incredibly powerful. And kind yeah. of that reflection has enabled, uh, which I'm hoping that the people I work with hopefully see some of that around. Um, but, yeah, that's it's really important to me that we're able to sort of look at some of that, that positive energy and try and cascade that around and say look look what we've done i think it's much more difficult with the speed we're working mm. at the moment i agree if you talk about embedding continuous improvement in a even in a small team and everyone's now got a lived example of successful continuous improvement so you're not saying oh well you know that team over there or you know this hospital over there or whatever you know they did that and people go oh, well that was them because it was, you know, recovery is a great example as an individual site or an individual team. Your time scale might not have been quite as rapid. However, you know, you open a COVID trial, you've got 20, 30 patients eligible on day one sort of thing. Everyone's lived through that and seen how it can be done. And I think it'd be 
on a local level you'd have to your celebration is of the local successes if that makes sense which everyone has now yeah absolutely and that's one of the hardest things that we have in in the role that we have in embedding improvement and innovation continuous improvement in in the network it literally says that in my job description to embed um and it's really hard because previously um people would really struggle to say oh this is oh what i'm doing is continuous improvement when so much almost everything we do is incremental improvement it really is uh, we're really good at it as an organization we're less good at saying at pointing it out and recognizing it um so in part the work to be done around embedding is is increasing that awareness to say it might not feel like it but here you go here is a lived example that's yours what else do you want to do now I mean, the language around continuous improvement, I think, is huge. And it's so important to sort of point out that what everybody is doing is continually improving what they're doing. Um, I heard the medical director at the trust I work for say at a continuous improvement event that we all have, we all kind of had two jobs and that we have our job to deliver the care that we're all trying to deliver or the research we're trying to deliver, but we also have to improve our jobs so and improve everything around you so that really hits home that that's still it's, that they're being talked about as two separate things and but it's all but when you when you put it as black and white as that everybody's already doing that it's just that it starts giving it some credence and some gravitas to say do you know what you're doing an important thing just by i don't know moving your chair to the other side of the room because it's easier to get your patient's notes or whatever that might be. It's the start how important it yeah. is. So on 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 ALP we gave you uh, we gave you some tools. Um we gave you some tools that sounds really quite big, doesn't it? It's not. Um but quite often when we talk about continuous improvement, people are thinking about things like uh, Lean Six Sigma uh, and Kaizen and things that come with quite a structured methodology around them. And there's definitely an important place for those. Um, and I think that's part of the challenge we have in terms of being able to say, oh, we do continuous improvement because we don't say, oh, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know how to do Lean, therefore I don't do continuous improvement. Um, and so having conversations like this where we say, oh, actually, so much of what we do is is continually improving, continuous improvement. Um, and part of just being able to bridge that gap was bringing some of those practical tools to, to the ALP. So you felt like not only were we saying, you are doing this, we were saying, here are some things you might take into your practice um, to help you do that in a really conscious way. Things like uh, five whys and driver diagrams. And, um, and, I, and I don't know how, do you still feel like one is improvement and the other is not? Or You've, you've just spoken a bit to say um, that you see the celebration of success and, and the embedding and everybody having a lived example of improvement. How does it feel in practice in terms of can you rationalise between the two? Does it feel like one thing? Hold on, I ask questions around here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> say more on that one. <laughs> I think that's actually a really good point. Um, and it's I, I personally believe that every every change is continuous improvement, regardless of size, um, regardless of whether they fit a model or they don't, because the model, a model almost makes it, or can make everything a little bit too difficult for people to recognize that what they're doing, no matter how small, is continuous improvement. Um, so if, if there's not enough education around the use of models and the use of uh, continuous improvement, stuff in general then half knowledge is almost not good enough because people will start then thinking you need these models to do anything yeah and i don't agree with that either like i said like my example of using moving the chair to get get the notes easier that for me is is all it takes um it's when when you want to start embedding continuous change that maybe you need to start thinking about what model you're going to use and I think we have enough pockets of talent in those areas that we that that's enough. You can start leaning on people that are able to do that. Project managers now are popping up in trusts and in networks. And 
as long as those people have the experience and the skills, then they can start using those and utilizing that talent to get these off the ground. Absolutely. I would think? like to see us moving away a little bit from this idea of, of continuous change and because um, I really struggle with the term change fatigue, which I hear quite a lot. People are really tired and maybe I haven't heard it so much since since March. Uh, <laughs> Every day has changed. <laughs> but because, um, not because I don't believe it, it exists. I think people do find change, you know, wearying. But um, because we put the focus in the wrong place, we're putting the focus in the 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 thing, the shift, as opposed to coming back to like the digital stuff. Uh, how do we build our resilience and um, ability to be agile and dynamic as as people, so that it's not about here is a change that needs to happen. It's about constantly evolving what we do and how we do it. Um, and that for me is a different that feels different to change fatigue. It's more about how do we um, constantly strive for a bit better, a bit better, a bit better. Um, so it's, I, I think I'd like to reframe that conversation is my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, I can't help myself. Can't help myself. <laughs> I think, you know, if you say continuous improvement and you start discussing models, people will feel like an imposter or feel like it's a really big deal and it's something they're not capable of and you know continuous improvement works in just really simple adaptations as well and maybe it's highlighting that you don't have to what's the, the difference between adaptation and innovation you have to be innovative to be continuously improving just you can just tweak something a little bit and you've still you've still improved with that it doesn't have that the difference between adaptation and innovation. I'm literally writing it down as we speak. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm very much an adapter. I don't need to rebuild a wheel. I'll just put a hammer in it or something. Because even even little changes that have can have massively successful outcomes or improvements for people, and maybe sometimes it's you know continuous improvement as a phrase can be daunting to some people. Yeah. And literally saying all we literally did was something as simple as that, and that wasn't that was how we continuously improved. You're right in Jess's next webinar, you know that, right? Yeah, <laughs> 100%. <laughs> I think one of the things I said an awful lot when we did uh, advanced leadership program was, uh, particularly around uh, your, your leadership challenges or your leadership projects, depending on the year you were in, um, was this idea that small doesn't mean not impactful um and I, I can i've said it enough that i can roll my eyes at myself now when i say it but it's it's absolutely true small does not mean not impactful and we struggle when we think about change and improvement and innovation which is an enormous word to think we've got to to do tackle these big things how do we tackle something enormous and the first place i would always say we have to start with a big thing that we don't know how to um, address is to break it down into the small parts because small doesn't mean not impactful. You've got to move forward, celebrate a small change, move forward again. And that's the only way that you address big changes or big shifts that need to happen. Yeah, the small incremental changes um, are, are, are massive. Uh, I think that was probably, I think, one of the one of the biggest challenges with with that leadership challenge is that everybody as soon as you mentioned the word everybody went going to change the world just this huge thing and you're like and for me that, that i found that incredibly daunting that everybody had these huge ideas about what they were going to do they were going to cross cross boundaries of um embedding research nurse and clinical teams together and and I was like, oh, well, uh, yeah, I just want to sort of make this process a little bit easier in my team. That was kind of all, all I had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I found it. And then I changed jobs. So it did, it did make my life a little bit easier, if anything, because my challenge became um, how, I, how I embedded myself in the team and led mm -hmm. that team. Um, I, I don't know if it was as easy as this year's cohort to establish there leadership model, the leadership challenge, because, you know, it's kind of handed to you on a platter. 
I mean, civil libraries draw that. It definitely was a different different requirement. <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, it was interesting. We all we all had a, a hangout. I was like, oh, I might do this and I might do that and I might do the other. I was telling Ross yesterday, and we were due to meet together as a learning group for the first time, and then the program paused like two days before. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna deal with this now. <laughs> we'll just come back at the end and tell everyone what we've done for the last three and a half months. And uh... So who who is the best person to be sort of trying to embed continuous improvement? Should it be, is there a, does a top-down approach work? Um, or do, is it something, is that is that why it's sort of intertwined in ALP that you're trying to sort of get roots first? Or is it a two-pronged approach looking top-down? And... I'm going to ask you a really awkward question. What do you think? And it's not because I don't have an opinion, but I'm genuinely because <laughs> I've always got an opinion. You say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I genuinely think it's everybody's job, um, but I think the language is important. So where the language comes from, and while you're trying to balance that with, like we were just saying a second ago, and Catherine was saying that when you start putting models in there, it starts becoming complicated, and then you start putting people off. So I don't, I, would, I don't know how to do it, I, but I just do, I feel personally it's everybody's job to improve the job they're doing. This isn't about me. You can't, you can't just. Leader, if you have led your team to believe that they are capable of that and they are allowed, you know, the whole permission thing again, they are allowed to suggest a change, and as you know, an another word is a leader. You would hope would consider that change and be willing to try it and implement it. And it should come from anyone. It's not saying everyone has to come up with an idea, but if anyone has an idea, they should be able to voice it and have it discussed and maybe have try it out and see what happens. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, we the first thing it says in, in anything that we write about continuous improvement in the CRN is that, C is that continuous improvement is everybody's business. It is absolutely part of what people do. And that comes with a challenge because the next question is, okay, well, how does that work? And you've asked me that question today, how on earth does it work? I think everybody's got a role. I think that change cannot happen without the people on the ground who are doing the work who are interfacing with the things that need to change every day and that doesn't matter what what level you work at in a hierarchy um you're the person who knows how to make what you do better because you do it every day um leaders in the system have an incredible role to play in um making the space for people to be able to do that so uh, giving them um implicit permission uh, sometimes that needs to be explicit permission too, but obviously we're trying to to encourage that culture where there doesn't we don't need to seek that or offer it. Um, they also have an important role to play in terms of um, strategy and helping people understand where small incremental shifts help contribute to the bigger picture, uh, and that's part of creating the space. I think. Um, and then you've got people perhaps who are in that middle ground who aren't quite so operational nor in, in senior leadership positions who have a real role to help identify talent and enthusiasm and interest uh, and encourage that and upskill people um, with um, lessons and um, practical experience and also reassure where there might be nervousness in the system around well, if we try something different, will it work? What will that mean for our organisation, for our business? So there's there's a role for everybody in this and it and it is different depending on, on where you sit, but you could probably do any of those any of those things. Um Yeah, sorry, <laughs> trailed off there. Just what I do. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't. I don't really like the term top-down approach anyway. Um, no. Considering 
I guess if, if Stephen was here now, he'd probably be like itching his teeth or something. But um, the whole idea, I mean, we work in a hierarchy, right? So whether we like it or not, um, I, I, I think there has to be a certain amount of explicit permission. But I think that that is what triggers, starts triggering your implicit permission. And once, once, once that's been out, it's out there and say, look, yes, go, go forth and create and innovate and bring me back what needs to be done or don't bring it back, just do it and tell me you've done it and show me how and why it's better. Yeah. Then that's so, so powerful. Definitely. It's important that as leaders, we articulate um, around permission that we articulate what's important and what's uh, not, you know, so so that there will be that right balance between explicit and implicit permission in terms of this is the stuff that you need. We need to have a conversation about and this is the stuff that you this is completely within your power. Go and go and shift that, go and change it. So as, as I've mentioned a couple of times that how I feel continuous improvement is embedded so far with every alumni there is. How does the, either a network or a trust sort of harness that energy and and use the alumni to the best that they can? You don't have small questions, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone speaks so positively about the program. Nobody ever goes, well, you know, it was interesting. And then I put it one, one side and went back to the day job. And I think, you know, some people might be more active in the alumni community than others. Obviously, I'm not I'm not an alumni because I'm still part of the course, albeit on pause. And I find that really inspiring because you've got all these people scattered about the country and all the different LCRNs that have done the course and took a lot away from the course and want to utilize the skills they learn in the course and i think it would be great if there was i don't know some way of being able to see what those people have done or those people being able to celebrate how they went forward after the course type thing like a community of practice or something like yeah maybe <laughs> you do something and you were sure as you've done it but it'd be interesting to see because everybody who's done it like says it, it really changed how they work and how they see themselves and you know everybody gets so much out of it i'm sure people go on and and do some amazing things and like, it would be great to know more about that yeah i mean we we do have a community of practice which i don't think celebrates maybe what everybody has done as well and maybe that's the way that we need to be looking at moving that forward we had the celebration day that last year which was just it was like leaving for me personally it was like leaving a residential mm. I, I'd rem, I was reminded of what the energy is like as much as they were exhausting but when you leave, left there you came away full of this I don't know spirit and and a new attitude and you're just ready to go and as much as which is probably where the whole cha i will change the world ideas for everybody came from because you felt like you could when you left those residentials you felt like you felt empowered and ready to um really put into action everything you've learned but that's what i mean about trying to harness that one of the things i wanted to make sure i said to you when we had this conversation was um you've done that for me over the last few weeks i um didn't know I was missing it, but by listening to uh, even just the first conversation that was had, um, I regained some of that energy. I suddenly realised, you know, what gives me drive, and um, there's something about the community that the Advanced Leadership Program creates, uh, which is just so uplifting and and takes you in this kind of it's almost like a snowballing isn't it that you can't you can't escape it you're you're just in it and it gives you an energy and a drive and a focus and an enthusiasm um and you're not exempt from that if you're faculty you you and I, and I love that about it um and I think I hadn't realized how much I'd not been feeling that over the last 
four weeks, couple of months, and then suddenly to to kind of be reconnected with that energy was was amazing. So I wanted to say thank you for that. <laughs> You're very welcome. I mean, we got we've got Lee Franks kind of to blame or thank for for doing it in that she suggested a webinar, doing a webinar for something. And I was like, oh, don't do that. They're boring. Don't do that. <laughs> and then obviously by doing that, I was like, oh, well, hang on. Maybe, maybe we should. And here we are. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. See how I just didn't answer your question at all. I just completely. Yeah, I didn't know. So I, I, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. You let Catherine talk and then just ignore the question. I mean, it is a huge question. And I don't know if there is a, there is a right or wrong answer to how we harness all of that energy within the alumni but i do think it's something that all, every alumni wants to know how as whether that comes from organizational change or whether that comes from within us as a community to make ourselves more accessible and become which is what we're trying to do with community practice a little bit in be i don't know loud disruptive but at the same time actually contribute because we've got so much talent within that group. So I suppose one of my questions would be, and it's a deliberately provocative one, is that do you need to harness it? Do you like, is that energy enough? Like what, if we spend all our time looking for the right way to harness the energy from this group, we're going to miss a load of opportunities. And it's not to say that we can't use um the collective um energy and uh power that's there and i use power quite deliberately to make incredible change but we don't have to wait to harness that you're doing it already you're you're in your systems in your organizations you're in the network um having conversations like this whether or not people get to listen in to, on them or not and and for me that's it that's that's how you do that and and there'll be times when we can come together uh for a focus a shared purpose and and drive something in a really powerful way but it doesn't mean we're not doing that every day that was the point i love that that's the perfect answer i think to that what do you think catherine i think jess I mean, asked a question in a way that you think i think that but i couldn't possibly say it like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah she does that <laughs> Just, what i like to do is say i'm about to ask a really deliberately awkward question and then ask a deliberately awkward question and i get away with it because i've told you i'm gonna do it <laughs> <laughs> i mean always a really difficult you know i mean i guess in some ways when you work in a very hierarchical institution you want you want to go on a course and you have to sort of fill in a form and say this is what i'll bring back from it and this is what i'll make better for you and everyone else if you let me go on this course and you do alp and you come back and obviously people will have different employers and i'm sure organizations work in different ways but i guess you you take away from it the, what what you want and you make make of it what you will and for some people that's quite a different sort of learning experience mm. Yeah, um, it's so personal. It really is. I mean, and which is where I can understand the, because um, it's life it's, it's, and that's the way life is. And like I've said before that for me, it didn't, the course didn't change my life, but it did change everything about the way I worked. And I, th I felt that everything that I'm, I'm now able to do because of ALP was already there. I already had those skills. It's just, I didn't know how to, use them and i mean you did mention tools earlier jess but without without wanting to sound too cliche about tools that's exactly what i was given was the vehicle to be able to sort of start exploring some of that stuff without being worried about it um yeah the permissions whole the whole permission side of it was yeah it was just massive for me and really took what i was doing to the next kind of level So I guess the last question, as we're, we're back in the ALP sort of space, is what, what was your biggest sort of take home from the whole course? Because as faculty, I don't think I've ever heard anybody from faculty say before that they, you know, they left energised as much as we did. And that, it, what you guys learned from it would be just as interesting. I think. 
I suppose I probably have two answers for that, and one of one of them is about how, uh, as faculty, we uh, continued to um, learn from your experiences and and build that straight back in to the program and and um, I remember hearing Tara last week say refer to her as the guinea pig year um, and while it makes me smile it makes me sad a little bit as well because um, I hope that they don't feel previous years don't feel that they got anything less than the year before because there's such an important important point part I can't speak anymore of building not only the content for the program but the um, the container for it as well you know this community this collective perhaps is a better a better term of phrase um so we certainly got that on a personal but the other side of it is my personal coming out of it is that um i in all honesty i don't know how much i felt like a leader when i got asked to come and be faculty on it i was i was surprised to be asked felt quite fraudulent <laughs> and um, it was so much of a of a process me and nearly said the j word i'm not going to say it, um, <laughs> of uh recognizing in myself um the skills that i had and the the conversations that i could have with a group of people um and the knowledge that i could share that i didn't really know was there um, and I remember years and years ago having um, having a coach and her saying to me, "Oh, I get as much out of this, you know, process as as, as you will." And I just I was just like, "Well, that doesn't make any sense." And ALP really made that come alive for me. I was like, "Oh, this is I've, I'm taking as much out of this program as everybody else." Um, and this year I used a quote um, in our module, which was uh, leadership is a process and not a position. Um, and while probably my position hasn't changed over, over the years that we've been doing advanced leadership program, uh, my leadership has been a process, absolutely. And I've learned right alongside you um, about you as a group about how to help leaders develop how to develop leadership in myself um how to hold a space and help others be in that space um so yeah i think that's what i would say i learned from a personal perspective and catherine you're new alumni like fresh fresh <laughs> out so what what was the one that saw the biggest message that you have been able to it's really hard to narrow it down to just one thing. I think oh, top ten? <laughs> on a personal level, you know, the tools that you're given and, and the things you learn and the way you get to practice them and interact with them and then go off and, and try and, and experience them, it's confidence, definitely sort of confidence, not in the workplace, but maybe in life. But I think the other thing it gives you that's so valuable is those connections with everyone else so all of the you know people will contact me off my intake and say oh you're doing that how you do it? people to bounce ideas off and you know that they won't judge you they won't mind that you're taking up their time by asking them um and that's been really valuable because normally you know i think you, it's very easy to not see the bigger picture and focus on your little team like you're a bit more enlightened in your trust and that's all you care about and often it was so interesting to meet people who do a similar but not the same role to do in different parts of those countries that might do the same thing they might have the same job title as you and yet you guys do it completely differently and you both did it very successfully and that network of, of people of friends contacts has been invaluable I yeah, I'm going to take that you said I was successful, so I'm going to go with that. <laughs> I yeah, I, there's so many takeaways, and and I do realise how difficult that question is because I could probably answer that question ten times and have ten different answers. 
it really is one of those mm. things that it, it depends on what you're doing at, at that moment to say what your biggest takeaway is because there is so, but for me it was a hundred percent the change of emphasis and going from that siloed looking at my team looking at my trust even to knowing that there's a bigger picture and when you're working on global studies especially you start realizing that you're having this impact on not just your patient although you are having that and you're allowed that impact on your patient you're having that impact on patients globally and nothing really hits home more than i think than during the pandemic mm. so thank you both so much for today it's been great i mean continuous improvement is something that i'm incredibly passionate about so it's really great to hear both of your opinions so thank you so much thank you thanks so much <laughs>